Well, when you think about Christmas and you think about the first Christmas, I bet I can guess what you think about. I bet you think about people traveling on a donkey, going a long way, showing up at an inn, uh, having some guy standing with his hands on his hips and saying, there's no room in the inn for you, you pregnant one. Go have your baby out in the stalls. And you sort of have this picture of, uh, depending on the Hallmark card that you look at, of you know this serene sense, the Holy Family all have little halos around them and all the animals are just with smiles and stuff like that, and, and a baby is born, and angels show up, and all those kinds of things. And that is called the nativity scene, right? And how many of you have some kind of nativity scene set up in your house? Okay, a lot of us do. And I just thought it would be kind of cool to look at some of the different nativity scenes that are available for you, and if you don't have one of these, you may consider it for next year. So let's look at a couple of these. You'll never guess where, what country this comes from. There you go. You can just see. I don't know. The words magically delicious just come to my mind when I think about that. You can just see, oh, the wee baby Jesus. Ah, beautiful, Mary. So anyway, you've got that one. And then uh, try to figure out what this one is made of. Anybody want to give that a guess? Shotgun shells. Yeah, from South Carolina. That's where we're from. That's called the Redneck Christmas. And, you know, you can get those at Walmart. It's an awesome thing. Okay, so let's look at the next one. Okay, now, kid you not, this is called the captivity, and I just, as your pastor, I just want to say these words. If you have this in your house, get it out of your house immediately. It is evil. That is evil, okay? Just, you don't want anything to do with it. And here's the final one. Now, that one looks pretty cool. And guess what that is made out of? Butter. Butter. Which just, I mean, think about that just for a second. Somebody spending that much time carving butter. And it does bring up sort, sort of a moral question. So when it gets time to eat the dinner rolls, what is it proper to take the butter off of? You'd probably say, you know, we can do the camels, the wise men, don't touch the holy family, that's sacrilegious. So anyway, those are some of the options. And it's interesting because here's the truth of the matter is we really don't know what that was like at all. We have no idea really what the first Christmas was like and exactly uh, where Mary was and all those kinds of things. We just don't know so much. And uh, we don't even know really what Jesus looks like. These kinds of things really are our projection. It's what we'd like to believe. There's only one thing that we know about Jesus for sure as far as his physical appearance, and that is that he was bald. That's the one thing that we can say with absolute confidence. So, yeah, okay. Well, anyway, what I want to do is, while three of the stories of Jesus, three of the Gospels, tell the story of his birth and give sort of this background, this historical background about it, there is one Gospel or one story told by John where he opens it in a totally different way. There are no animals, there is no barn, there are no angels. He opens it up in a very, very different way. So let's go ahead and look at that. It's John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. And it says these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Now, is that just crystal clear? 
That's so obvious what that means. When I first became a Christian, somebody gave me a Bible, a King James Bible, and told me that John's Gospel was the easiest of all of the New Testament books to read. And I read that phrase, and I just thought these words. I am too dumb to be a Christian because I do not understand what that says. So let's take a second and reflect, because there's some information that you need to have to understand why John opens his gospel with these words. And he's actually uh, going to explain a dilemma that was felt at the time that Jesus was born. And let me personalize it for a second, because you'll get the idea pretty quickly. When I was in fifth grade, we moved from the East Coast to Laguna Beach, and, of course, had to make new friends. And I felt like my in to new friends was through sports. I was pretty good at sports, and I just felt like that's the way I was going to get, you know, sort of known. And so uh, I worked really hard and tried to be really good at football in particular. And I remember about halfway through the fall season of my first uh, year being there, our team went to go play a team in another city. It was kind of a big deal. Our sixth and fifth grade team was going to go play another team in another city. And I was so excited about it until I saw when they posted the team that I wasn't on it. So the Saturday that they were leaving from the school to go drive up to this place, I decided just to show up. I thought, if I show up, maybe they'll just take me. And I got there, and the coach saw me, and he came over to me, and he said, Kevin, uh, did you think you were going? And I just sort of looked at him, and he said, Kevin, you're not on the team. And I remember walking home feeling totally rejected and totally excluded. Now, it was my fault that I showed up. <laughs> there was a lot of presumption on my part. But I bet you can relate to that. I bet there's been a time where you were excluded, whether it was the party you weren't invited to or the dance nobody asked you to go to. You know, maybe it was uh, something even more significant, like somebody leaving your life, somebody walking out on you. Most of us can relate to the fact of feeling rejected and excluded. And uh, as John opens his gospel, one of the preeminent feelings that the Jews of the day had was that God was excluding them. In the Old Testament, the number one attribute of God that was highlighted was his holiness. God is holy, holy, holy. And the idea of God's holiness is that he is transcendent, that he is set apart, that he is pure. And in light of that, who we are is we are sin-stained, very fallible, you know, sinful, make all kinds of mistakes, very blemished. And that was the message that really was drummed in to the people of God over and over and over again, that God is holy, God is perfect, we are lucky to even be considered in his presence. And what's interesting is as the Old Testament goes on, and finally in a period between when the Old Testament was finished and when Jesus came, about 400 years, uh, this feeling that God was distant and God had separated himself was the overwhelming feeling about God. In fact, just to give you sort of a clue about this, uh, most of you know that uh, in the Old Testament there was a set of rules given called the Ten Commandments. Ten. Do you know that by the time that Jesus was born, those ten had uh, expanded to 1,500 rules? 
that people had to follow. And you can well imagine that most of the time people realized, I am not living up to the standard, to this incredibly high standard. Another thing that people felt was that God was removed and the religious leadership had basically uh, started to teach that it was improper to say God's name. That a sin-filled person should not even say the name Yahweh, the Old Testament name for God. And so they, they started saying, you cannot say that word. Do not say God's name. And in fact, they said, don't even write God's name. And they started to uh, express God without vowels, so all they were with consonants, so that you couldn't say the name at all. And so there was this overwhelming feeling that God had distanced himself, that he had removed himself, and that he had basically excluded people from interacting with him. And so John, as he looks at Jesus coming, wants to express something about God that is going to change the paradigm, change the whole way of how people think. And so he writes those words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, the term Word is a Greek word named logos. Here, let's say logos on three, and you'll speak your Greek for the year. One, two, three, logos. Okay, logos was a very interesting term at this time. Because you couldn't say the word God, and because you couldn't write the word God, they had to do something to express God. So they said, stop saying God and start saying the word of God. And they said, after all, it was the word of God that created the heavens and the earth. God said, let there be light, and there was heaven, you know. And God spoke to us through the prophets, and, you know, God gave us the Ten Commandments through, through his word. And so it started to be understood that the part of God that you can connect to, because you can't connect straight to God because he's too holy, you can connect to his word, the word of God, the logos of God. And so when John writes these words, he's trying to express that there's some part of God that is reaching out to us. There's a part of God that transcends the fact that he's holy and we're sinful, and there's a natural barrier there. There's a part of God that's going to come after us anyway. And he says that's called the logos of God. And the Jews were familiar with that term, the logos of God. It's interesting because in today's day and age, there is still a sense for many people that God has distanced himself. A few years ago, I had a conversation with a woman who was a waitress in the restaurant that I went to on a regular basis, and I got to know her. And she was about 25 years old, and she found out that I was a pastor, and so we'd talk occasionally about spiritual things. And then one day I said, hey, why don't you come to our church? Why don't you come and visit us? Uh, you would like our church. Our church is sort of geared for people that don't normally go to church. And she was intrigued. And she goes, really? You, you think I could come to your church? I said, absolutely. We'd love to have you. And then she said words that I'll just never forget. She said, well, I'm going to come. I'm going to come in a few months once I clean my life up. And I said, no, 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 no. You misunderstand. You don't need to clean your life up. You can just come, just as you are. Just come. And she said, no, 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 I've gone to church before. And I know church is a place for people that have it together. You know, they look the part and they smile and they don't do the kinds of things that I do. And I said, listen, really, I'm telling you, 
If you clean your act up too much, you won't fit in with the rest of us, really. I mean, you can come just as you are. But you know, it was really a sad thing. She would not come. She had this image, and it wasn't really the people of God. She felt that she had to clean herself up before she could ever even approach God. She looked at her life and the decisions she had made and things she hadn't done probably, and she just felt kind of rotten about that. And she said, God could not love me the way I am. Just couldn't do it. And so John writes these words. In the beginning was the logos. In the beginning was that part of God that comes at us even though we aren't perfect, the word of God. And the Lagos was God. And then John says something really astounding in verse 14. He says in verse 14, let's read this together. It says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so John makes this radical statement saying, that word, that part of God that you've been able to relate to and you've been able to touch and you can say it and it's okay, that logos became a person. That logos became a human being. That Lagos stepped into a world just the way we step into a world and experiences the ups and the downs of life, the successes and the failures, you know, the reasons to celebrate and the disappointments. He came just like us. And in fact, we go on to read that he comes in as a baby. I mean, the exact opposite, really, when you think about God as holy and transcendent and majestic, and you think about him as a judge and threatening, and this idea that you would just fall down on your face before him and and think you were going to die in his presence. What could be more the antithesis of something like that than a baby, than a cute and cuddly baby? I mean, what could be better than that? And it really, I just want you to think about this for a second. It says a lot about God that when he came into the earth, he said, that's the way I want to come. That's the way I'm going to make the grand entrance. I don't need to be impressive. I need to be approachable. And when you think about Jesus as he goes through his life, and for some of you, you may know some of the stories, but you see that he is constantly including people that everybody else has excluded. So he includes the woman who is caught in adultery. And he includes the man who swindles others out of money. And he includes the five-time divorcee. He is the one that keeps on reaching out. In fact, one of the number one Negative things that the religious leadership said about Jesus is you hang out with sinners too much. And believe it or not, Jesus said, thank you very much. That is a compliment. And they said, no, 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 you don't understand. We don't mean it as a compliment. He said, I know you don't. And then he says these words. He says, but you see, uh, I didn't come for those that are well. A doctor comes for those that are sick. 
There's some of you, I imagine, that sit here, and you came because somebody invited you to Christmas Eve, and that's the right thing to do on Christmas Eve is to go to church. Maybe you don't normally come to church. Maybe some of you do come to church, but every time you come in, you are so aware of the fact of how undeserving you are, of, of how you've not only let yourself down, but surely you've let God down. If, if people around you could only know how bad you were, the decisions you've made, the life things that you've chosen, you would say, I just don't belong here. And here is the message of Christmas. Honestly, this is the message of Christmas. This is what John's trying to get through. You absolutely belong here. That's the point. God comes to us when we are totally frail and imperfect. And he says, you don't need to earn my love. I willingly give you my love. I want you in. It's as if Jesus says, hey, I'm bringing the kingdom of God to earth. I'm taking applications, and anyone can apply. Whatever you thought before, whatever, whoever you thought was the in crowd or the people that had the inside track, don't think that anymore. You're all welcome. Because the logos became flesh. The logos became a baby. God invites you in. And for some of you, that's the most important present you could hear. That's the most important thing you could hear, is that God is pulling you toward himself. He wants you. There's another group of us, and I include myself in this group more. And that isn't so much that we're worried that God excludes us, but we run the danger of excluding God. Maybe you feel, I've got my life together. I don't need God to come in and show me how to live my life. I've got my life together. I really don't have time for this anyway. I'm busy doing things. I don't want him messing with my agenda or or the things that I'm sort of on track to do. I just, I don't want the changes. I don't want that. And so, um, and as I said, I sort of relate to this, is I put up a wall and I say, God, you stay kind of over there. And let me live my life. I'm doing pretty good. And the Bible says that uh, those of us that have that attitude are actually in more trouble than the ones who feel like, you know, we're undeserving. Because God can always pull in the person that feels like he's undeserving. It's very hard when we feel like we've got it together. And for some of you, this Christmas is what you need to hear is, hey, let down your walls. Your life will be so much better in 2012 if you embrace God, if you embrace Jesus and that you have a partnership with him and you walk through that. At the end of his life, to make sure that the door would be open, Jesus died on a cross. And it was just uh, to make certain that our sins would not stand in our way. He said, I die for those sins. Nothing stands in the way. 2012 can be an incredible year for us as we partner with God because after all, the Logos became flesh and he makes his dwelling with us. If you just for a second uh, bow your heads and close your eyes and if you just put out your hands like this because I want us to pray for a second and sometimes getting into a position 
uh, helps us a little bit to focus, focus us. So let me just pray for you with your hands out. Lord, as we put out our hands, uh, one of the reasons that a child will do this is to reach up to his father. When we feel unsure of ourselves and we need courage, we, we reach up to you and we ask for the strength. We ask for the security of knowing that you're with us. And for some of us, Lord, as we're here, as we face the end of 2011 and look at a new year, maybe we've got challenges that are going on right now. We grab onto you and it gives us courage. We recognize that we don't live our life by ourselves. You walk with us and you walk through it to help us make it. So we are so grateful and so we grab onto you. And Lord, this is also a position of surrender. And for some of us, that's what we need to do. We need to surrender our agenda, our way of doing things. We need to surrender our plans and our self-sufficiency. And so it takes humility to come to you as well, not only courage. For those of us that need that, Lord, I pray that you would just allow us to see how incredible you are, how majestic you are, that being humble before you is a proper position and that we can trust you as we humble ourselves. Lord, I pray for everyone in this room that we would re respond to the blessing of Christmas by coming to you, making a commitment to live our lives in partnership, to really walk in the invitation you give us. We praise you. You are the Logos of God, Jesus. Thank you for coming to earth and for setting us free. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.